Man, that was pretty incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. Um, that video right there is evidence that the church never closed. And I think it's important for us to emphasize that during this whole season that we've been in, we've never closed. We've always been open, but now we are just regathering in person because we've been gathering online. If you can remember back all the way back to March, it feels like five years ago, even though it was just five months ago. And so now we're back to gathering again in person. In fact, we've got three ways to gather, whether you're gathering with us in person at one of our locations, whether online or in watch parties. And this has been one of those seasons that if you watched last week, I talked about, uh, I learned a new phrase. I love phrases. I love words. This has been a wicked problem. And when a, you think about what a wicked problem is, a wicked problem is something that is so large that, that you can't solve it. And any solution that you come up with is just going to create other problems. And so that has been the season that we have been in, not just as a church, not just as a country, but literally in the world. And so here we are again, gathering together in person, one of three ways to say, hey, we're going to do everything that we can to continue to operate as the church. But it's important for us to understand, like I said, we never closed. And, and that's what's been so amazing over the last five months. In fact, I just want to say, uh, do people say kudos to you anymore? I don't know if they do, but I just want to say how proud I am as a pastor that over the last five months, we have still been doing what we do. We have still been serving the communities. We have still been meeting together in groups. We have still been meeting the needs of our neighbors, just like you saw there. Uh, the gospel has still been going forth, and that's been incredible. And, and we're so grateful for technology and the ability that we have to gather together online. And so all of you, again, that are gathering online, we are still the church. We are gathered together in different places because that's what the church is, and we're going to continue to do what the church does, all right? So if you got a Bible, yeah, one person was excited about that. That was great. All right, now listen. Listen, for those of you that are in person, man, I've been preaching to empty rooms, all right? And camera guys, they got to stay focused, and, and people running stuff, they got to stay focused. They can't jump up and down to get excited, so I'm going to need you to get excited, all right? It's all right to get excited. All right, good. So if you got a Bible, we're going to be in the Old Testament, all right? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. That's the first book in your Bible. We're starting a new series of messages today, and the series is called Welcome to the Wrestle. Has 2020 been a wrestle? Yeah. Welcome to the Wrestle. And this series has been uh, kind of on my mind for a while now since the summer because just thinking about what we have been through, and, and we thought about different words or different things to call this, but I was listening to a, a pastor, and I'll quote him later, talk about the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob wrestles with God. And I thought, man, what a great time for us to talk about wrestling with God. Because I don't know about you, but this year has been a wrestle. And so we just decided to call it Welcome to the Wrestle. And if I'm going to do it in my best WWE voice, it's Welcome to the Wrestle. All right, that was pretty good, right? So welcome to the wrestle. We're going to look at a story in Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 32 about Jacob wrestling with God, and it's a very interesting story. I don't know how long we're going to talk about this. We'll just kind of, again, we don't make plans for very long anymore. We just kind of take it week to week, month to month. But we're just going to do this for a while because in this story, uh, in fact, Genesis spends 10 chapters talking about the story of Jacob, and he's very pivotal, pivotal, pivotal. 
pivotal. That's the word I'm looking for into the story of the Old Testament because he is the one whose name is changed into Israel. And so often we can forget that Israel wasn't just a country, it was a person, it was a family. And so we're gonna see how God changes his name. We're gonna see what God does in his life because if we're not careful so many times, I think we can miss what God wants to do in our life because we weren't ready for the wrestle. We weren't ready and, and God was welcoming us into that wrestle. And so that's what we're going to discuss. In fact, I'm going to kind of pick up where I left off last week as we did the Romans recap and, uh, in the second part there and talking about Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the process of transformation that happens. And I ended us on a quote last week, and I want to read that to you, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into Genesis 32. So I ended last week's sermon with this quote, and I'm coming back to it now because this kind of frames the whole series, all right? This is Dallas Willard, again, one of my favorite theologians. He says this, this requires a long and careful learning from Jesus to remove the duplicity. Now, the word duplicity means two, two parts. It's the same type of word of the word duplex. So if you know what a duplex is, there's two parts. There's two units, if you will. So the same word duplicity, the same root words for duplex is there's two parts. To remove the duplicity that has become second nature to us. Spiritual formation is being formed, really transformed in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. So spiritual formation is what we're after. Deep spiritual transformation is what we're after. And if we miss that the way that God transforms us, in fact, if you were back here on Mother's Day, I was just looking over my notes from that. I made a point on Mother's Day of this year is that there is no formation without frustration. And so if we miss what God is doing in 2020, if we miss the wrestle that God is walking us into, then we won't develop deeply spiritual transformed lives. And here's what I want us to see. Satan would want nothing more than for your transformation to be shallow. He wants nothing more than for your transformation just to be surface, to not get into the deep parts. And he would want nothing more for you to just move right on from what has happened in 2020, for just move right on what has happened in your life. Don't deal with it. Don't process it. Just push forward. Just push through. Just move on. But we're going to take some time to talk about the fact that there is no formation without frustration. So God invites us into a wrestle with him. And that's the story of Jacob. So let's pray. And then we'll jump into Genesis 32. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you for how you have brought frustration. And, and, and God, if we don't have spiritual eyes, we would just see everything that has happened around us as other spiritual forces trying to distract us. But God, we know that you control everything. So therefore, nothing has happened and nothing will happen that you have not only allowed, but you are using for our good and your glory. And so God, let us see that. And as we study the story of Jacob over these next however many weeks, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Help me as always to communicate clearly the truth of your word and then give us all ears to hear it and then eyes to see what you're working in us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So Genesis chapter 32, I hope you're there. We're just going to look at the first 12 verses today, and, and we're going to stay in this chapter, like I said, for a while, but then I'm going to go back to give you some history as well. So we're going to go back into Genesis over these next several weeks to learn more about who Jacob is. But, but the context, what you need to know right now is in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is on his way back to meet his family. He is on his way back to where he's from. And so that's where we pick up the story. Verse one it says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So here's the story. We're going to get into his past. Again, we'll get into this over the next few weeks. But Jacob has a pretty troubled past. In fact, even how Jacob was born, his name means heel grabber. He's a twin. He was second, which you're going to see the number two plays a big role in Jacob's life. And so this phrase of Jacob's name, heel grabber, it means deceiver or manipulator. And so he's got a past of manipulation. He's got a past of deception, and he runs from it. And he runs from it, and he starts building his life, and then God says, I need you to go back. I need you to return to your country. I'm doing some stuff, not only in you, but in your family, Jacob. I need you to go back. And he's not really excited about it, as you're going to see in just a second, because he's got to face the things of his past. But before he can face the things of his past, God has to wrestle some things down in Jacob. And so I love this phrase when it says, Jacob was on his way. Now, on his way, the word just means he's headed to a destination. But here's what we need to know when it comes to life. God may be sending you somewhere, but he's doing way more with where he's sending you than what you can just see. He's doing way more. And so there's a lot happening here. The Bible says the angels of God met him. Now, this word here, met, is, is very interesting. You know, the Hebrew language is a lot more expressive than even the Greek language, and the English language is kind of in between the two. And what I mean by that is this. One word in Hebrew can have four or five meanings, to where in Greek language, they would have four or five words for that. They, they wouldn't, it was a lot more specific, but in Hebrew, it's a lot more broad, and so this word here, met, has literally four or five definitions of what it can mean. And one of them, which is kind of how we think of the word met, is you just encounter somebody. Like, hey, we met for a coffee. We were together. We met, you know, while walking down the road. But this word here also means, and this is what I find interesting, to strike, to extend the hand. And so the idea of it is, your face met my fist, right? And, and we do kind of use that word like that in English. Like, if you try to mess with my family, you're going to be met with fury from me, right? If you try to break into my house, you're going to be met with my angry reactions. You're going to be met, right? Sun's out, gun's out, right? You're going to be met by some force. And this word here, met, has that connotation in this context. So here's what I want you to see. Jacob is on his way, and the angels of God met him. 
They met him. And here's the point, and if you're taking notes, I don't have it on the screen, but there's going to be a lot of things like this. The angels of God met Jacob on his way to change his ways. The angels of God met Jacob. He was headed a direction. He was headed away. You're going to see in just a second what his default mechanisms of life are. You're going to see how Jacob normally responds to stressful situations. So it'll make more sense to you in just a second. But here's the first thing we need to know. God loves you and I too much to just let us go our own way. God loves you and I too much to not meet us. But here's where we have to get comfortable. Here's where we have to open our eyes. When God meets you like that, it ain't going to be with angels that are like Cupid that are all cute. This is how we think of angels, right? Like you put them on your Christmas tree. You got them hanging in your windows. They're like cute little angels. They're like, oh, my angel is watching over me. Anytime the Bible describes angels meeting people, they freak out. I said this often. Apparently, they're not cute little chubby creatures with arrows that are like, ah. They are dangerous looking, scary looking, which is why Jacob says what he says. He responds when he saw them, this is God's camp. Now, again, in English, we may think, oh, this, like Jacob just stumbled upon where the angels happened to be camping out. No. The phrase there, God's camp, is another way of saying God's army. And the idea is, and again, a lot of you served in the military, when a platoon or group of people move around, they may set up temporary shelter. And and when you meet them out in the woods, you might just meet them where they happen to be at that point in time. And if you're on the opposite side of them, you're not very happy that you just met them. That's the idea here. Jacob, on his way, has encountered the army of God. And he steps back. What's is interesting, and we'll get into this in the next few weeks, but a few chapters earlier, he had a dream. And he saw angels. You ever heard the idea of Jacob's ladder? He saw angels ascending and descending from heaven. So he renamed that place Bethel, which means house of God, because Beth means house, El is God. And so he had a dream of that. Now he's on his way and he sees them. These majestical creatures that were ascending and descending. So you gotta imagine, he had a dream that he was gonna see them. Now he's seen them and he's freaked out. This is God's camp. He said, this is God's army. So he renames the place. And this is a foreshadowing of what's gonna happen because here's what I want you to see. God is not so much about renaming places. He's about renaming people. He's about doing something deeper than circumstantial transformation. God was after Jacob. Because you're going to see in just a little while what Jacob's greatest problem was. And so this is just kind of context for the story. We're not even getting into the wrestling with God. That comes later. This is just kind of a foreshadowing, if you will, that the angels show up and they met with Jacob. Now let's go on. Look at verse three. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. Now, again, if you don't know the story of that, we'll get into that for the next few weeks because of how Jacob had dealt with his brother. 
He sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to meet my lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed till now. We'll get into that part of his story as well. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. What is Jacob doing here? Jacob has to go back and meet with his brother. He ain't real excited about that. And Jacob is a manipulator. He's a deceiver. So what does he do? He puts his wealth out in front of him. He puts his status out in front of him. He's trying to gain favor. Man, how we do this all the time. He's trying to project an image of himself that's not really himself. That is what duplicity is. Duplicity is two, two parts. See, Jacob is a master duplicitor. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying. Jacob is a master of putting on a front. Jacob is a master of deception. And you're going to see just a little bit how he learns that. But that's what you need to know context-wise. And look at verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. He's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Imagine getting that back. He is coming to meet you. And he's got 400 of his friends. You got to be wondering, Jacob's like, did he not like the oxen? Did he not like the stuff? What's going on, bro? I need more. And this phrase just really jumped off the page at me. But that's the title of the message this week. He is coming to meet you. He is coming to meet you. And here's why the story of Jacob is so important. The he that is coming may take the place of people from your past, but the real he that's coming to meet you is God. See, Jacob thought it was Esau that was coming, but before Esau came, Jesus came. And here's where you and I have to wrap our minds around something. God is after more than what you're after. God is after more transformation, listen to me, church, than even you want him to do. Because you and I, we have areas in our lives where we have put up no trespassing signs. Where we say to God, you can have everything, but don't you mess with that one. Now, you haven't maybe said that out loud, but you just kind of live like that because every time the Spirit prompts you into having a conversation with that person or restoring something with that person, you're like, I ain't going there. And here's the point that I want to give you. The fuel, and this I do have on the screen. This is a quote from an African-American pastor in California who, when he said this, man, just really, really helped me understand what's going on here. He said, the fuel for our forward may be found in the healing of our past. Let me say that again. The fuel for your forward, what I mean by that and what he means by that is what you need to move forward. What you need to move into the future God has for you. The fuel for that is found by the healing of your past. 
Let me say it to you like this. You can't go forward until you first go back. See, Jacob was ready to move forward. He had a wife and he had another wife. It's part of the problem because that would be how many wives? Two. I told you, Jacob's all about two. He was ready to move forward. But God said, before you can go forward, you got to return. Why? Because there is no restoration without returning. There is no moving forward without first going back, which is why Jacob was so afraid. Look at verse seven and eight. It says, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now look at this. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into how many camps? Say it with me, even if you're watching online, into how many? Two camps. Thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So here's Jacob's brilliant plan. I'm going to divide my camp into two. He had two wives. Now we'll get into that story as how has he got to, but okay, you over here with your kids, you over here with your kids, and I'm going to use y'all as bait. And so if he attacks one, me and the other one can go. Do you see how dysfunctional he is? And this is what I want you to see. When you are distressed, your dysfunction comes to the surface. When you're distressed, your dysfunction shows its head. Why? Because when you and I are afraid, when you and I are stressed, i.e. 2020, the things that we idolize the most are what we seek the most. And let me say it to you like this. You don't really know who your God is until you're afraid. You really don't know who, now, now listen to me. You're like, well, I know my God, Jesus Christ. Yes. In a, in a, like a theological way. Yes. But do you understand that you can trust Christ and then seek out a different functional savior? You can have Jesus as your Lord and savior, but then still seek out things in this earth to save you. Because you and I understand that, that Jesus, yeah, he's going to save us from hell. But the concept of salvation, we don't take wide enough to think that Jesus can also save us from our family's dysfunction. Jesus can also save us from our personal dysfunction. Jesus can also save us from our societal dysfunction. If we live in the ways of Jesus. Again, that's what spiritual formation is about, which is why I started with the quote again, doing the deeds of Christ in the power of Christ. That is what God is after. God is not just after getting us back into relationship with him. God is also after forming us into the image of Christ. And this is where most of us misunderstand what discipleship is. Again, one of my biggest beefs with the church, if you will, which is funny because I've been pastoring in the church for 20 years, but I didn't grow up in the church. I wasn't saved until I was in middle school. 
And so I had a lot of personal and family dysfunctions. And what I found out a lot of times in the church is so did they. They just like to disguise it under deep discipleship. And what I mean about that is this. The church somewhere along the way thought that real discipleship was I know a lot. I know a lot. So we do a lot of Bible studies. We get a lot of information. But it wasn't very long after being in church that I saw people that had been walking with Jesus for 30 years, but they were the most emotionally immature people I'd ever been around. They weren't any better as far as functional people goes. They were just better at hiding it. They were just better at putting on nice clothes. They were just better at making their Bibles look better with Bible totes. Thank God those have kind of gone out of style. They were just better kind of dressing up the outside, which is exactly what the Pharisees did when Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs. You got all this decoration on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. See, listen, church, discipleship is not just I go deep in information. The discipleship process is ultimately about that word gets deep into me. It's not just that I go deep into knowing a lot of stuff. It's that that word gets deep into me and starts messing with a lot of stuff. It messes with how I treat people. It messes with how I love my spouse. It messes with how I treat my coworkers. Oh, here's a good one. It messes with how I post on social media. It messes with a lot of stuff. But we have accepted, especially in the American church, that I can follow Jesus without any real desire to be like Jesus. And what God is saying to Jacob is, and ultimately what he's saying to us, I will not allow you to walk that way. So I'm going to welcome you to a wrestle. Let me say it to you like this. Discipleship isn't deep until it gets into your dysfunction. This is why you can have people that know all kinds of scripture, but yet judge somebody by their skin color. This is why you can have churches that speak about the grace of God, but they don't love their neighbor as themselves. Because they just learned a spiritual version of dysfunction, a Christian version, which is interesting because it's a Christless version. See, Jacob is greatly distressed and afraid. And so what did he do? He did what dysfunctional people do. He divided. You want to know how dysfunctional you are? Look at how divisive you are. Your dysfunction shows up in your divisiveness. Let me say it to you like this, because he said two camps. Remember I said he had two wives? This is right there. Anybody who's ever argued with me that the Bible, you know, there was guys in the Bible that had multiple wives. Yeah, show me one of them that it went well. And ladies, I'm not saying you're double the trouble. I'm just saying it don't work. Why? Because the Bible says the two shall become how many? One, you want to know the biggest problem in your, in your marriage? You're still operating like two people. Dysfunction shows up in twos. Dysfunction shows up 
and divisiveness. This is why in any premarital counseling I ever do, always one of the things, it may sound simple to you, I'm like, how many checking accounts y'all plan on having? And if they don't say one, I'm like, "Mm -mm, stop right now. It's one. It ain't my money and his money and my money and her money. No, it's y'all's money. It's y'all's. Well, I got a business. I don't care. Well, I've signed a prenup. Mm. Might be a problem. Here's what you see what I'm saying? And what would the devil love to do in your marriage? Keep you divided. Keep you as two. He doesn't want two becoming one flesh. Why? Because the two becoming one, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter five, mirrors the same process of myself and the Holy Spirit becoming one. See, before I was saved, before you were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, Ephesians 2, made us alive in Christ, gave us the Holy Spirit. Now Paul says, and we dealt with this in Romans, I have my flesh and I have the Spirit. And he says, if I live by the flesh, I'll die. But if by the Spirit I put to death the deeds of the flesh, I'll live. What does that mean? The Spirit is here to take over my flesh. The Spirit is here to bring me into one. To bring me into one. But if I keep operating as though I'm two, that I have my Christian self or I have my Sunday self or my Thursday self, because we got a Thursday night gathering now, all right? My, my saved self and my unsaved self, the more I keep operating in duplicity, the more dysfunctional I'll be. I got the Christian self, I got my work self. You see what I'm saying? I said, I meant to say, see what I'm saying, but I don't know what word came out right there. But you see it? Jacob showed his dysfunction because he divided into two. And so will you, and so will I. Now look at verse nine. Jacob at least prays. This is good. But it's interesting. His dysfunction shows up even in this prayer. Verse nine, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, Preaching towels out, baby. Come on now. And God of my father Isaac. Now, we'll get into this in the next few weeks. But you want to know where your dysfunction comes from? From the generations before you. Again, one of my other favorite pastors said, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you got grandpa in your bones. It's generational. Again, we'll get into this. And he at least knew that. Because Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. Jake, that was for real, for Jacob. And so the idea here, he's in the lineage of Abraham. Now, Abraham was a 75-year-old moon worshiper, talking about 75 years of dysfunction. And then he trusted in Christ. The Bible said he had faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So now, faith breaks into the generation of Abraham, but did that solve all of his dysfunction? No. You want to know why? Because how many wives did Abraham have? Two. So Jacob is just doing what he's seen grandpa do. Jacob is just doing what was natural in his family. And here's what I'm trying to get us. I'm not saying Abraham wasn't saved. Yes, he was. But did Abraham make bad decisions after he was saved? Yes. And did they have devastating consequences? Yes, and we're still dealing with them today. 
And so Jacob is generational here. Again, we'll get into this. But then he prays. He says, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Now, he's praying back what God said to him. I don't want you to miss this. I'll highlight it more in just a second. Why is Jacob praying back to God what God said to him? Because Jacob is feeling like God done forgot. Remember the verses before him. He's greatly afraid and distressed. So after he divides, he prays. Wrong order. After he operates in his flesh, after he operates in what's natural to him, he prays, which is good. But even how he prays, he's saying, oh, oh, oh God, oh, my father, Abraham, Isaac, remember those dudes? The, the one who said to me, return and, and I'll do you good. Remember when you said that? Have you ever prayed like that to God? Hey, hey, God, hey, 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 remember when you said that? Remember when you said you blessed me? Remember when you said that all things work together for my good? I don't know if you remember when you said that. You ever prayed like that to God? If you ain't prayed like that yet, you ain't wrestled enough. Just wait. And, and, but here's what he missed. I, I alluded to this earlier. God said return. Why did God say return? Because God wants to restore. He said return to your country and to your what? Kindred. What's that? Your family. Return to what you've been running from, Jacob. That's what he said. Return to what you've been running from. Because I need to restore this broken relationship before I can do you good. And also, Jacob, I'm redefining what it means to do you good. Because see, Jacob had a misunderstanding like you and I have a misunderstanding. Again, I'll point this out in verse 12 in just a second. He thought do him good was just multiply on the outside. To where God was like, no, I want to multiply on the inside. Why? Look at the next two verses. Jacob says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. That's true. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become how many camps? Two. How many? Two. I have now become, he says, duplicitous. I've become two. What does that mean? I finally became out here what I already was in here. Church, why is this so important? Because your family will become out there what you are in here. Your church will become out there what you are in here. Your community will become out there what you are in here. We call that a self-fulfilling prophecy. He, let me say it to you like this. I've said it before. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Because what was Jacob's biggest problem? It wasn't Esau. Look at the next verse. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. I fear him that he may come and attack me 
the mothers, notice that's plural, with the children. See, listen, church, Jacob's biggest problem wasn't Esau. Jacob's biggest problem was Jacob. His greatest fear was out there. Let me ask you a question. This is rhetorical. You don't have to answer it, but I want you to think. If I asked you right now, in 2020, what is the greatest threat we face? What is the greatest threat we face? You might say, coronavirus. It's the greatest threat we face right now globally. And I'm not saying it's not a threat. It's for real. But this is an election year, homie. And you might say, the greatest threat we face is the Democrats or the Republicans. You know, those people. Whatever other side of the political aisle you're on. Same back with COVID. Or you may be feeling a little more patriotic and you may say, no, no, no. The greatest threat we face as a people is our geopolitical threats, Russia and China. That's the greatest threats we face. Let me, let me, let me just help you here because my greatest concern is helping us understand that the greatest threat we face is nothing on the outside of us. It's everything on the inside of us. You want to know why? Because God will not throw you into hell for voting Republican or Democrat. He will not throw you into hell for being from China, from Russia, or from America. He will not throw you into hell if you got COVID. Or if you didn't. What will he throw you in there for? Sin. Sin. Now, this is one of those times where people are like, oh, no, he's talking about hell. Yeah, we just happen to be one of those Bible people. It's for real. But, but don't misunderstand a point. God is not looking to throw anyone there. In fact, he created that place for the devil. And the devil is not in charge there. He's being punished there. I said this to you often because I want you to have right theology. The devil's not down there with a the pitchfork. Like, come on down, it's hot. No, he's here right now. He's not down there, he's here. And one day when Christ returns, he will kick him there. And he will also send everybody else who was in that same duplicitous relationship with him. Let me say it to you like this, Genesis chapter four. You can go back and read this story later, but after Adam and Eve sinned, then they have Cain and Abel. You probably know the story. Abel offers his sacrifice. Cain is upset about it. He's griping about God blessing somebody else. You ever done that before? He says, why'd you accept his and not mine? And what does God say back to him? What does it matter to you? If you do well, you'll be acceptable. But then he says this, the greatest warning in all the Bible but watch out, Cain, because sin is crouching at your door. 
and it seeks to devour you. And then what does he do right after that? He kills his brother. My friends, the devil would want nothing more than for you and me to blame our dysfunction on somebody else. He would want nothing more than for you to blame everything else around you. But the greatest threat that we face as a people is nothing outside of us. It is only what is inside of us. And so listen to me, church. You want to know how your dysfunctionalness turns into functionalness? The greatest person you start to fear is yourself. You know who I'm most afraid of? The dude I see in the mirror. That's who I'm most afraid of. I'm not, I'm not the most afraid of mobs coming and attacking my family. I mean, I'll protect myself, but I'm not the most afraid about that. I'm not the most afraid about our country. I'm not the most afraid about other countries. Because if you read the history of humanity, it just repeats itself. I'm the most afraid of me. See, that's why God had to come meet with Jacob. Because Jacob's duplicity led him down a lifestyle of fearing everybody else but his own wicked heart. But Jeremiah 17 says the heart is desperately, deceitfully wicked. And then look at, how do we know that? Look at verse 12, and then we're done. He's praying to God, remember, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multiplude. Multitude. I was thinking multiply into multitudes. I just made up a new word. Multiplude. He's going to multiply us into a multitude. A multiplude. See, Jacob defined God doing him good by multiplying his stuff. But God defines doing good by multiplying his soul. Not his stuff. Now, does God have a problem with us having multiplied stuff? No. He blesses people like that too. But his main goal is to bless you on the inside, not just the outside. So as we begin this series, let me say it to you like this. Welcome to the wrestle because he is coming to meet you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being willing to do what needs to be done, which is to put us into conflict with ourself. The worst thing that you could ever do is let us go our own way. And those of us who are parents, we understand that. The worst thing that we could ever do is let our kids go their own way. And so we try to intervene. We try to meet with them. So thank you for being a loving father, for coming to meet with Jacob, for coming to meet with Jason, and coming to meet with everyone else whom you want to restore. 
And so God, I pray right now, if there's anybody here who has never had that decisive moment where they met with you the first time, and they've come to that place where they understand that their deliverance can only be given by you. So if there's anybody here or listening or watching who has never trusted in Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to trust him, to be saved, to have that made alive moment. So if that's you, if you want to trust Christ and be saved, then you can pray with me. And again, it's not that the prayer is anything special. It's just our way of doing Romans 10, 9 and 10, where you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You can do this by yourself. But if you want, you can pray it with me. And it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That you wanted to wrestle me out of my own way. So you sent Christ to take my place for my sin. So I confess my sins and I believe in Christ. I ask you to forgive me, to save me. Thank you for loving me. Now, if you just prayed that and you're in one of our locations, we want to know that. So we just simply lift your hand up. Thank you. We got a gift we want to give you. But then those of you watching, and even those in the houses, you can text us in just a moment and let us follow up with you like that. But then those of us who've trusted Christ, doesn't mean we're free from the wrestle. As one pastor said, God saves us from the fires of hell only to put us into the refining fires of heaven. So you will never escape the fire, but the purpose is different. One is for punishment, one is for purifying. And so if 2020 has been a year of wrestle for you, I want to say welcome. Welcome to the wrestle. And this year will only be a waste if it doesn't change your ways. So submit to God. Again, we'll get into this in the next few weeks. Allow God to change you, transform you deeply. Allow God's word to get into your dysfunctions deep into your dysfunctions. God, we accept your invitation. We accept the fact that you're coming to us because we can see the fact that you're coming to us as a threat or we can see the fact that you're coming to us as just another example of your love. This is like the story of the prodigal son who left, whose father ran to him. You will run to us. And you run to us to wrestle us. But help us to interpret that as love. Because you love us too much to let us go our own way. 
God, we ask that you would do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.